0: Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, everybody. If uh, you came in a little bit after we started this morning, I welcome you. I'm glad you're here, Pastor Brian, and I'm I'm grateful uh, for the opportunity that we have to gather this morning. Uh, I wanna remind you uh, as we continue in our time of worship now through the word, we still uh, also worship through giving. So uh, if you want to uh, give in any way, shape, or form to the ministry of Holmes Avenue, uh, you can do so by uh, any of the ways that we have for giving uh, that you see there on the screen you can do the QR code, you can give online, you can text it in, you can even give it uh, to somebody as you depart this morning. Uh, you can still give to Operation Christmas Child, and all of that is about to ramp up here in the coming days uh, as we get closer and closer to November. Y'all, it's already almost the middle of October. Like, what is this? But fall is here, and I'm, gr- I'm glad for it. I'm excited. And um, if you are with us maybe for the first time today in person or online or first time in a while, uh, we have been journeying over these last uh, few days, in fact, last few weeks, excuse me, uh, through some questions. We've entitled this series, Burning Questions. And in this, we've been looking at some, some of those, kind of those big questions. If you were to be asked, Uh, by somebody as you're having gospel conversations and you're engaging with somebody, they may say, okay, I hear what you're saying, uh, but what about this or what about that? And through this series, we conclude it today. We'll be back in the book of Acts next week as we jump back into uh, Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, But we today are looking at this question, what does the Bible say about suffering? What does the Bible say about suffering? Now, throughout this series, if you haven't had a chance to go and listen to those or you weren't here for it, I encourage you, you can go on uh, Apple Podcasts, you can go online uh, to our website, you can go on Facebook, those different avenues to go back and listen. But we've talked about, what is, the, is the Bible trustworthy? Uh, what does the Bible say about race and racial reconciliation? Pastor David Johnson came from Centerpoint and preached a phenomenal message that day on that topic. Last week, Pastor Walter uh, preached through a, a difficult topic of what does the Bible say about homosexuality? and the biblical view there. And then also today, now I conclude this series about what does the Bible say about suffering? What does the Bible say about suffering? And in just a minute, we're gonna turn, and you can go ahead and begin to turn there now to 2 Corinthians chapter four, as we're gonna be in that passage today. But before we begin, I just wanna ask you a question, a rhetorical question, something to be thinking through. You don't answer out loud. But how have you handled times of suffering? how have you handled times of suffering? What do you do when you endure pain and or affliction in this life? Is it an easy thing to navigate through? I think all of us would, if we're being honest, we can agree that suffering is hard. It's difficult. And it's one of those things where it's like, why do we have to suffer in this life? I remember uh, back in elementary school, I was sitting there one day and in our art class, we had this time of making clay pots. And in making these things, uh, everybody was so excited and the, the art teacher pulled out all the supplies for us to begin to make these. And the, the spinning table where you would, you would put together the, the bowl, and uh, I was not good at that at all. <laughs> and so I took my clay pot and, and I rolled up these long uh, pieces of the clay and I just made it into circles and started to uh, form together this, this cup that I wanted to have. And uh, mom, I looked at the house and I don't think I have it. I think it's still in my old room at the house. But remember that little green jar of clay? Maybe you don't even remember that thing. I made it years and years ago. But it's, it's this thing that I made and I was like, all right, I have this little cup. It's gonna be great. I'll be able to use it for many different things. And so I left it there that day and I left from that place and I come in the next day after it's dried and it's time to paint it and do all of this stuff. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, that ain't my cup. I didn't make that, that thing is ugly. <laughs> I did not do a good job of making the cup. It was all twisted and, and, and not a perfect circle as the way that I had envisioned it the day that it was there. This, this jar of clay that was there before me that I was gonna have my treasures in and hold on to these little things, man, it didn't look good. Now I painted it green and had it all nice and neat and, and, and let it dry and then I got to take it home. And it would sit on my shelf and it would hold uh, pens and pencils and no matter what I put in it, although I couldn't get a good bit of it in there because of how contorted it was and, and not a perfect cylinder of a cup, it still did its job. It still held on to the things that I needed it to hold on to. In fact, I would leave it there on the shelf and as I would go out and I'd come in from going out to work or anything like that, I'd come back in and at times I would leave my change in there because I knew like, this isn't gonna go anywhere, nobody's gonna mess with this, I'll leave it here. Or I would maybe if there was something I had, like an important key or something that I didn't use all the time, I'm gonna put it here because I'll remember to go here. All my little treasures and things, I would put it into there because I knew I would go back and it would serve its purpose and it would hold on to those things. Now, you might be asking, well, Pastor Brian, why are you telling us about the clay pot that wasn't that great of a pot that you made, this cup type thing that you made? When we look at this passage today and we see how the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth and he describes the fact that as believers, we are jars of clay in the hand of the master. And inside, what we have inside is this imperishable treasure, And because of that imperishable treasure, we are able to hold on and cling to it, knowing that no matter what we face in this life, no matter the sufferings, the hardships we have, we can look ahead to what is to come. So with that said, I wanna invite you, will you stand with me as we read this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter four, starting in verse seven. Hear the word of the Lord. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. For it is all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of God. Will you pray with me? Father, again, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. And now, Lord, as we begin to look at your word, God, I pray, Lord, that you would make clear the things you want us to hear. Lord, let the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you. Have your way in us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. All right, despite the sufferings of this life, believers must look inward, outward, and ahead to understand the present and future realities for the Christ follower. If you're taking notes, I hope you are, here's the first point. We must first be looking inward, looking inward. Look again at verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see here, Paul opens a section describing how he and those who are serving alongside of him, how believers are jars of clay, which holds a certain treasure. What is this treasure? What is this jar of clay? The jar of clay is you and I. We aren't the fanciest looking pots. We aren't this big thing of gold or treasure in and of ourselves. We are simple. We are like the clay pot. We are there for a purpose. Now, there there may be some smudges, there may be some breaking down over time, but the external isn't the thing that is most important. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's what is inside that is most important. What is inside? It's the treasure. It's the treasure that is inside. The incredible, undeniable gift of grace and mercy that is of the gospel. Think about it. Even during times of clay jars breaking, and and at times the contents may even come out, the gospel in that sense even goes forth. For context of this passage, when Paul is writing, he's describing the hardships and the sufferings that they have faced. We're gonna look at those in just a moment. Near-death experiences for the apostle Paul. The difficulties of following Christ. In our 10 a.m. Life Connect group this morning, we talk through the book of Philippians and we address the reality of the things that Paul is coming out from. Paul is writing from house arrest in Rome to the church at Philippi after Epaphroditus has come and encouraged him from the church. He's writing to them from that. He's been under house arrest. He's been suffering. He was flogged. He has been shipwrecked. Many different things that Paul has suffered in this life. Therefore, they have the context of why he's saying this to the church at Corinth. There may be times where we think about that and what I was saying about the jars of clay and maybe not being the most fancy you might ask, well, why not? Why does God not, God not use the, the fancy jars? Well, you can think of that in the, in the context of, what about the people that appear to have it all together? The ones that appear to maybe not have any kind of suffering. We would all know that that is just an appearance. That is not something that is a reality. See, there's this beautiful reality that comes from the gospel, God uses broken, sinful people who he's radically saved to trust him and to point the world back to him. Your kingdom come, your will be done, as we talked about during the catechism question. When we rely on God and trust him, despite our sufferings and the hard times we face, we get closer and closer to him. He draws near, he ministers to us while we're used for the glory of his name. You see, by doing this, by living in this way, we do just as verse 7 says we show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, we don't get the credit, we don't get the glory. He does. Let's look back at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Here in verse 8 and 9, Paul continues describing the sufferings they face since following Jesus. See, we see a breakdown here of terms. He says they're afflicted, but they're not crushed. He says they're perplexed, but they're not driven to despair. They're persecuted, but not forsaken. They're struck down, but not destroyed. Do you see here what these paint a picture of? They show how Christ's followers, there are times that we may face affliction or general adversities. We might be perplexed, having some inner type of distress. We may be persecuted, some kind of external hostility from others. We may even be struck down, beaten to the ground. Notice, though, that despite each of those things, God doesn't allow them to fold. These trials are difficult, and without God, they would surely be done for, or they would have already quit. These realities point to the present evil age. The difficulties of life are hard, but with God, they could be manageable. Church family, I don't know if you're like me, but I came to know Christ at an early age. But I can't imagine today at 34 years of life, what life would be like if I did not know Jesus. It is a difficult thing to think about. But there are many people around us that are lost, that are far from God, but close to us. You may be wondering, well, how, though, does God sustain Christians during these sufferings? Look at verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We have to look to the cross. But also, not just the cross. We can't stop there because if there was only the cross, there would be no resurrection. There would be no eternal life. Jesus had to pay the price, and then he had to defeat the grave. We must look past the cross to the resurrection to understand this reality. God is able to sustain us in these sufferings because of Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection. We embody the death of Jesus. This is what Paul means when he says, Caring. When we go about our daily lives and face difficulties, we carry with us the nature of Jesus' earthly existence, the giving over of ourselves to heaven's priorities, much like Jesus followed through with the Father's will. You see, this quickens something for us. You see, in our daily lives, as we're going about and, and doing our lives, and, and, and there's, a, there's a present reality that's there for each of us. And this may sound a little morbid, but we're all dying. We're all dying. There's a physical demise coming for our bodies. There is one day where we will die from this life. But we look ahead, as I'll talk about in a few moments, to what is to come. Here's the beautiful reality of it all. You see, Jesus didn't just die, as I said. We can't just look to the cross. We have to ultimately look to the resurrection. We have to look to the empty tomb. And you see, Jesus' resurrection, it's not like what we read of, let's say, Lazarus. You see, in John 11, after Lazarus has already died, and his sisters are there and are saying, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, hold up, I've got this. Lazarus, come out. You see, Lazarus resurrects from the grave. He comes out of the tomb, walking like a mummy, not smelling too great, right? They talk about that reality. He had been dead for days. But here's the thing about Lazarus' resurrection. Lazarus resurrected for a brief period of time. He would die again. Jesus dies on the cross, goes to the tomb, resurrects, spends 40 days with the disciples, and then he ascends into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. You see, Jesus' resurrection, he died an, early, an earthly death, but he resurrected to new life. We all will die a physical death one day, but our resurrected life will continue on. We will be in the presence of the Lord Forever. And when Jesus returns, our bodies will be up in the sky with him. Philippians 3.21, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That day is coming. Look at verses 11 and 12. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul continues with this phrasing to the church at Corinth to say that Jesus' death and resurrection truly shines forth in our lives through our union with God. In these verses, Paul's suffering and endurance are intended to bring about the same resurrected life among the Corinthians. Paul is saying something very important here to the church at Corinth. He's saying that his sufferings were for a greater purpose that the Corinthians may come to know Jesus, so that others may know Jesus. Dave Ortland, in his commentary on the book of Corinthians, and this will be on the screen for you, it says, theologically, we are being taught an important truth in in reference to these verses, that the death and resurrection of Jesus transpired not only in place of us in a way we can never follow, but also ahead of us in a way that we must follow. He is not only a substitute, but also a pioneer, blazing a trail we are called to walk ourselves. The former is Christ for us, being the substitute for us, the latter Christ in us. Only the former is atoning Now, you hear that, you hear what we've been looking at so far, and you may be saying, well, Pastor Brian, are you saying that there are times that I may go through sufferings in this life, and it's a time and an opportunity that is being allowed for a greater purpose that maybe I cannot see? And the answer to that is yes. No matter how hard those things are that we may go through, God still uses it for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, as he says in Romans 8.28. There is a greater purpose to all these things, ultimately for God's glory. It could very well be that we go through hardships and the sufferings that we go through in this life because there is somebody that is watching us who will see, wait a second, you have this peace and this joy, even in the midst of the things that you're struggling with, that you're going through these hardships. How is it that you are so full of joy and we can say, Yet not I, but Christ in me. It is the work of Jesus that is doing this. And it could very well be for the purpose of somebody coming to know Jesus as Lord. See, God is sovereign. And his will is always what our desires should be. His will be done despite our circumstances, no matter how difficult they may be. Number two not only looking inward, but looking outward. Verse 13 reads, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what we have written, what has been written, excuse me, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and and we also speak. Here Paul quotes from Psalm 116. He's quoting David and his psalm that he wrote. What is this psalm about? This psalm is about the life coming from death. You see, Paul's spirit of faith referenced here points to the attitude of faith that every single believer ought to have. This is why he quotes David in this psalm. If you want to look at that quote specifically, you can jot it in your notes. It's Psalm 116, verse 10. But Paul is so confident because he had no fear in this life or the death to come because of who he was in Christ. See, a few moments ago, we read the sufferings that Paul faced. Yet his faith is what gave him victory over it all. He's assured on the promises of God. He's trusting in God. He continues in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. He's the assurance Paul is fully confident that God, who raised Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus. We should not fear, dear brothers and sisters. The sufferings we face in this life are hard. I am not making light of that at all whatsoever. Some days we feel as if we cannot even make it, and I get that. It's a real reality. However, we must have faith. And trust in the Lord, for he has done great things. And trust in what is to come, as Paul talks about in 14. That is our assurance. Verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Look at Paul's concern. Caitlin, if you don't mind, just leave that verse up there. Look at Paul's concern here. He says that it is for their sake. What is for their sake? Everything that Paul has been saying relating to the gospel. He's also focused on the salvation of those who are around that are lost. That's why I said it's a looking Outward. Prayerfully, those who have received grace want to share it with others. Prayerfully, those who receive the grace of the Lord will have gratitude for what he's done through faith. Paul's last concern in this verse points to glory of God. Nothing of the Christian life is focused on us. It's all focused on him. Not only looking inward, Not only looking outward, but number three, looking ahead. Looking ahead. Verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Family, this verse is so beautiful. It is so incredibly beautiful. Yes, our outer self is wasting away. Yes, we are dying in this life. We are going to see the reality of our decaying bodies come to pass from this life. But we rejoice. We rejoice. Because our inner is being transformed, renewed day by day. Our soul is being renewed. The treasure in the jar of clay. We are being renewed daily. We grow through sanctification until the day we who are in Christ will see the Lord Jesus face to face. The day when we will receive the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. Verses 17 and 18, I'll read together. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This light momentary affliction. In the grand picture of things, these things that we face, these are momentary afflictions. They are light. They are momentary. Not only that, but they are preparing us for what is to come. Now, I know that in those moments of those afflictions, they don't seem light. They don't seem momentary. But in the grand picture of things, they are light, they are momentary, and they are pointing us ahead to what is to come. I think of the powerful words of Charles Spurgeon this week. If you don't know who Charles Spurgeon is, we've got plenty of resources that Pastor Walter and I can let you read and and see the phenomenal ministry of his life. He was a young pastor in England preaching at one of the largest churches in England at the time. And there are many great works that he has, but there's this morning and evening devotional. And one of my coworkers, she saw it this week as she heard me talking about this subject of what we were going to be having today. And she sent me this picture from that. And I have that book, so I opened it up and I read through it. And listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. Present afflictions tend also to heighten future joy. There must be shades in the picture to bring out the beauty of the lights. Could we be so supremely blessed in heaven if we had not known the curse of sin and the sorrow of earth? Will not peace be sweeter after conflict and rest more welcome after toil? Will not the recollection of past sufferings enhance the bliss of the glorified? Charles Spurgeon was, like I said, a young pastor that God used mightily. But another thing that you may not know about Charles Spurgeon, he suffered severely from depression. He battled it over and over and over again again. Yet he kept his eyes focused on what was ahead. He did not focus on the light momentary afflictions. Matter of fact, as we read, he's looking at these things and saying, the things that we face in this life, they're difficult and they're hard, but these things help us to understand and appreciate even more what is to come. You may say, well, what is to come, Pastor Brian? I'm glad you asked. Because the Lord Jesus tells us through the Apostle John when he's writing the book of Revelation. He tells us in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 4. He will make all things new. He will make them all new. So take heart, family. When we're in these light, momentary afflictions, when the pain, we feel like we're drowning in it, and it's so deep. Cling to the one who has never left you, nor forsaken you. Cling to the Lord Jesus who has conquered the grave. The one who has promised, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The one who has said, those who are brokenhearted, he is near to you and saves you in your crushed spirit. Look ahead to what is to come. My question for us is this. If you're a Christ follower, you have this treasure in jars of clay. Things may seem difficult at times, they may be hard. We face hardships, we suffer. In the midst of the suffering, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you trying to handle things in your own strength? Because if you're trying to handle things in your own strength in the midst of the suffering, it's not going to get better. We can only do so much in our own strength. We are weak. We are in need of him. But much like he says, when we are weak, he is strong. we have the Lord who is ever present in the midst of our sufferings and our pain, that is there with us, that guides us, that leads us, that by the grace of God gives us a church family to love us, to pray for us, to come alongside of us so we don't have to do it alone. I want to encourage you If you're not clinging to the Lord, run to him in the midst of your pain. And for each and every one of us, it looks different because each and every one of us have different life experiences that we're going through. Some of us may be going through them now. Some of us, it may have already happened. But I can tell you this, until the day we see Jesus face to face, we all at some point or another will see it again. What are we doing in the midst of the suffering? If you're here and you don't know who the Lord Jesus is, kind of the first place to start is at the foot of the cross. And understanding what he has done for you. Dying for you and your sin. And offering to you salvation if you would repent and believe. If that is you today, whether you're here or you're online, I want you to talk to me. If you're online, reach out. Go to homesavenue.com forward slash contact. Send a message. If you're in here and you're like, I I don't feel comfortable coming up to you right now and talking about it, I need to process, send me a text, call me, send me a message, go to the link, whatever you want to do. We want to help you in the midst of the things that you're going through amid all of it. We want to encourage you and equip you. Before we look at some questions, I really feel the need just to pray. To pray over us. And to pray that God would do incredible things even in the suffering we may be going through right now. So if you would, would you pray with me? And then I'll move into the questions. Following that, the worship team will sing. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, God, you are so good. And God, I can't help but say thank you for the examples that we have in Scripture. This one here today that we look at of Paul describing the things that he suffered through in this life. looking to that reality, Lord, but knowing that he not only saw what was happening in the midst, Lord, but he rejoiced because of what was coming down the line, rejoicing in the fact of what God has done, Lord, what you have done. Lord, we can't help but say thank you for what you've done. We can't thank you enough, God, for your love your grace, your kindness, your mercy to us. Lord, for many of us, it may sound weird for us to say it, but Lord, we thank you, Lord, that during the times of suffering, Lord, we thank you for them. Because, Lord, it helps us, Lord, to grow deeper and deeper in our trust and reliance upon you. Lord, we just thank you for what you've done. Lord, for anyone here today or listening online that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord. Father, may today be the day of salvation for them. Father, as we've sang earlier, as we've read about in the New City Catechism, as we've referenced today, let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Excuse me. Go a couple weeks without preaching and I'm losing my voice. (laughs) Church family, I'm I'm looking here and I don't see where any questions have come in. So I do have a couple of them prepared briefly that we will just look at. Maybe it's something that you're thinking. One of the ones that um, is maybe a common one that we see or that we're asked about is why does God allow the innocent to suffer? Why does God allow the innocent to suffer? And we can look at this in a few ways. Is, is the question that's being asked in the context of saying that anybody is innocent, that anybody can be innocent? And when we're thinking about it in the context of sin in this world, we can look to one side of it being Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in that sense, none of us are innocent in that way because our sin separates us from God. But more commonly, the standpoint usually from that of being asked is, why would God allow things to happen to innocent people, like maybe a child dying or things happening with natural disasters or maybe pain and, and, and hurt that happens to children or others? because of the effects of another. Now the effects of another, that comes from people's sinful actions, drunk driving, murder, just to name a few. We could also experience someone asking the question from the standpoint of maybe a child that has died from cancer or something like that, or even a loved one that we would say, classify is a good person, why did they have to die? And it's a difficult subject matter to discuss and and understand. But we have to remember one thing first and foremost, that God is sovereign. And I know this is a difficult topic, right? It's a difficult question to ask about suffering and those things. But we don't just say that God is sovereign just because we say it. We say it because we believe it. We believe that God is sovereign and he reigns over this world. And things are allowed at times for a greater purpose. I referenced that during the message. His ways are higher than our ways. But sometimes people just don't want to hear the Sunday school answers, right? Maybe you've encountered somebody that's like, man, I don't want to hear that junk. And maybe you're in those moments where it's like, man, I don't know how to respond to you. This is what I believe. This is what I've seen God do in my life. Sometimes when we're in those moments, we talked about this last Sunday night in our Life Connect group. Sometimes when we're in those moments and it's hard, if people are starting to open up to us, sometimes they don't even want to hear our answers. Sometimes they just want us to be present. Sometimes they want us just to sit with them and go alongside of them and say, yes, this is difficult. And I'm sorry that you're going through this. And I can tell you all the things that the Lord has done in my life, but you may not want to hear that right now, but I want you to know this. I am with you. I'm not leaving you. I will walk with you through this. And God in his grace and mercy, gradually over time, he will allow you to have those hard conversations, praying that God would use you and ultimately point Jesus to the cross. We have to also remember the account of in John 9 where you've got the man that was born blind and they're asking hey Jesus this man that was born blind you know was he blind uh, because of his sin or the sins of his parents and Jesus says no 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 he wasn't blind for those purposes at all because of their sin Jesus points to the fact that God allowed for that to happen so that man would be healed in front of them and demonstrate God's power. The man was healed by Jesus. The man was no longer blind. God used it to direct others to him. A moment of suffering that was used for a greater purpose that points people to the Lord. But you may also ask another question. So are you saying that God causes suffering? No. God created Adam and Eve knowing that they would sin, thus allowing sin to come into the world. God, though, is not the author of sin. God and sin cannot coexist. My goodness, God provides redemption through his son. Suffering in this life, in this broken world that we're in, we know that Paul even states a little bit earlier than the passage we looked at today in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, that the enemy, Satan, he has limited rule over this world as the God of this age. And God sometimes allows suffering at points in Scripture where we see to cause the wicked to call out for the wicked to repent. We see this like in the book of Exodus, for example, with the plagues of Egypt. We see it in the book of Revelation. God also allows suffering at times to train his children or to refine us, to test our faith. We see that in James' book. You open the opening pages of James chapter one and you see, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because it produces faith, it produces steadfastness. There's other places in scripture you can find too that I'll be glad to share with you. He uses it for growth and for our good. We referenced that a little bit earlier when I said Romans 8, 28. One of the books that we read throughout the summer, the book that we read for the summer was Rebecca McLaughlin's book, Confronting Christianity. And when it comes to this subject matter of suffering, she says this, God is with us and bears our heartbreak of our suffering. Jesus holds us close as we lament. He weeps with us as we weep. He knows the end of the story when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, but this does not stop him from cleaving to us in our pain. In fact, pain is a place of special intimacy with him. We look at that and that truth that she shares there, and then we think about Passages like in 1 Peter 5, 7, where the Lord says, where Peter's writing and he, he references what the Lord says, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. We also, I'll, last thing I'll say, we also see in scripture where the Lord allows suffering at times. Job tells of how God, the book of Job tells of how God allowed for Satan to do things unto Job, but God said, you cannot kill him. And all through that, did Job say anything against the Lord? No, he was still faithful to the Lord. Sometimes our suffering may not make sense when we go through it. However, later on, we may see that the Lord uses it To minister to others. You may have examples in your life that you can think of where you have gone through a really difficult time. You did not understand the suffering at that time. You could not understand at all why God is this happening to me, you may have said over and over and over. And yet, years down the line or some other point after that, you encounter somebody that you love and you care for. That is going through the exact same thing that you're going through, that you went through, excuse me. And you're able to come alongside of them and minister to them as they go through that. Again, things that are difficult, things that are hard, but God can use for His glory in the future. With that said, if you have more questions, love to talk with you and help you through those things. But I want to pray for us now, let the band come up and sing, and then we will dismiss. Father, Lord, we thank you again for what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. Lord, as we come to this point now of songs of praise to you, Lord, as we sing, it is well to you, Lord. I do pray, God, that no matter what we go through, that our heart's cry would be that it is well with my soul. Have your way in us, O God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.